This is a HeadGum Podcast. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This level of foolishness hey. and joy. Hey. Losers, in other words. Hey. Now watch this drive. <laughs> Bring it! Hey. Damn it! Angela Bassett did the thing. Shisha. Sicario. Bruce hey. fucking Springsteen. Damn it! Hey. Yeah, people hey. are gonna die. I want yeah, to baby. Uh -huh. Little town, it's a quiet <laughs> T-Pain. <laughs> AI is getting so good. AI is taking over. It's pitchy even with the auto-tune. How'd she do that? How much money? That's talent. Be, be real. How much money would you pay to hear the unauto-tuned oh. version of Emma Watson singing? I would pay like two hundred dollars. I think. I would, Actually, that's high. I would pay five hundred dollars. You pay five hundred dollars. Yeah. If I got to keep it and then like put it out, and maybe I get two more followers <laughs> for tweeting it out. <laughs> it's an investment for you. I'm I'm investing in my own clout. You are. I'm a bit of a people know this about me. I'm a bit of a clout chaser. It's one thing he's going to chase. <laughs> yeah. It's a clout. It's not ass. It's clout. <laughs> Have you paid for any verification no. checks? No, 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 no. So did you lose yours on Twitter? Sure did. <gasps> how uh, did that feel? We haven't talked about that. I mean, how is your heart? You lost your blue check on Twitter? Welcome to Good Christian Fun. I'm Kevin. I'm Caroline. We're, I'm worried. We're here to have Good Christian Fun. It's the podcast where we talk about Christian pop culture, the music and the movies, and the entertainment made for and made by Christians, sometimes made about Christians. And made about monolith, mega church, fucking mothership, evil. Ah, I shouldn't say evil. Based on our yeah, previous conversation evil. we had a few <laughs> few days ago for the listener. We're not here to make fun of you or to make you go to church. We're just here to have fun, goofs, giggles, grins, laughs, lollygags, Ow. and whatnot. It felt bad to answer your question. It felt bad. To lose my blue check. I, I just like had to go look at your profile just to like Naked. see it really happen. Like it's gone. Here's the only benefit of having <sighs> the blue check when I had it. Because it was from like Gilmore Guys on until whenever it was recently. Mm -hmm. It was one, people thought I was the casting director of the Super Mario Brothers. I'm sorry, people knew that I was the people casting director. People finally brother. knew for sure. People found out that I was the casting director. Director of the Mario Super Mario Brothers movie crossed a billion dollars domestically. Congrats! Thanks to everyone who came out. And then two, I feel like if you followed someone that you admired or enjoyed, it was much more likely that they would follow back, and some of those turned into real relationships for me. Mm -hmm. So that like mitigating that as a way to, which sounds so dorky, like we met on the message board, but like truly. Some of the best friends of my That's life. Random. What's with twenty three thousand. Wait. With fifty thousand followers, 
I'm Kevin T. Porter. <laughs> followed by. Yeah, who am I followed by? Chrissy Teigen. Um, That's a weird one. I don't know why that is. Should I ask her about Allison Roman in the DMs? Are you just scrolling down through who follows me? Trying to find me? the next. <laughs> the Garfield n- fan art. Yeah, I mean, that was a big day. It's not the Garfield. No, it's not at Garfield Still. verified. Because that lasagna loving bitch. Rachel Stenot. She sure does. Now a big name. Yeah. Um, Caroline's farts. Huge. All right. <laughs> What is this section of the podcast? You know, I've always been unverified and I always wanted to be unverified. I mean, there's something a little punk rock. Yeah, it is punk rock. Exactly. It's just so funny how how broken it is. It didn't need to be this way. It didn't need to go this way, Mr. Musk, but it sure did. Do you still enjoy being on Twitter at all? Because mine has really gone down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I was thinking about this. Hayes Davenport said this years ago. You have to curate your experience, and and especially more so now, you have to curate it even more. You have to use filters, you have to mute, you have to block sometimes, and you have to make sure, like, because it's so for you versus following tab in, in terms of what you see. But there's still ways to get, I I don't know, I still see mm. a meme every day that I want to send to someone. You do? I'm okay. still L-ing-O-L. I, you know, I'm not L-ing-O-L, and I need to, I need to curate more, I think, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, and I guess uh, one way I can speak to this is maybe in a in a more substantial, concrete way. What is the last tweet that I found worthy of taking a screenshot of? <laughs> this one is sincere. Someone said, I think Sam the Onion Man is one of the most slept-on romantic characters in literary history. From Holes. Oh, it didn't holes. matter what problem Miss Catherine had or came up. Sam's answer was the same. It was still one of the coldest lines you can say to a woman. I can fix that. Mm. Isn't that fun? Amen. So that was the last uh, tweet I screenshotted. <laughs> <laughs> and then I can't read the second to last tweet I screenshotted. But then there was one that said, if she hasn't texted you, just heard Cormac McCarthy died. Just focus on yourself, King. <laughs> And we do say R.I.P. to Mr. Cormac McCarthy. Yeah, I guess. Today on the podcast, sure. I don't know him. <laughs> Did you see No Country for Old Men? Yeah. Well, Against he... my will. <laughs> Whoa. What was the situation? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember. I just didn't like it that much. <laughs> I remember seeing it with my friend Kelly Kane and her entire family in the year that it came out, 2007. So we must have been 17, 18 at the time. Went with her parents. And it ends very abruptly. Do you remember it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler Lee Jones is just like, I had a dream. And then there was bones and they were, they were on fire. And then I woke up. And that's the end of the movie. <laughs> and they were so mad. We were watching. We were talking about the Chick-fil-A afterwards. They were so mad about the ending of that movie. How yeah. unsatisfactory it was. Yeah. But listen, we're not here to talk about Twitter. We're here to talk about people that had a rise via social media in some capacity, and we are talking about the the Hillsong documentary from FX on Hulu. We're talking about the secrets of Hillsong. And before we start, let's of course say, "Hail Hillsong!" Hail Hillsong! Uh, this is a we love our friends at Hillsong. We we are not doing anything to ruin you, right? Absolutely like not. No, no. Please don't. We, we love them. We're not squirrels. Respect them. We're not. Uh, we're not in peace. <laughs> Would they call would would Hillsong call them squirrels? <laughs> Still, 
I wonder if they'd have like a new little animal for that. Yeah. They're not, we're not dingoes. Because <laughs> they're Australian. Yeah. They hate dingoes there. We're not being koalas. Koalas would be good. Koalas are good. Dingoes is bad. I think so. What's that big old spider they have in Australia? That's what we'd be. That'd be spiders. Like the, oh, that's good. Okay, we're being spiders. Rid of them. Spiders. Spiders. Don't listen to them. They're a pair of spiders. Yeah. That's, that's not us. a bad Australian accent. Very Stop. good. No, okay. I didn't do it for the compliment. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we are talking about that uh, 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 FX documentary. The docuseries. Streaming on Hillsong. Wait, Hulu. Who song? Whoa. Jesus Christ. <laughs> do they own Hulu? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they might now. <laughs> no, I mean, I think they're waning in power and influence a little bit. As, yeah, I as mean, we're finding out. We that's we're skipping to the end basically, but I have to say I was really surprised. I was really surprised at how many churches had shuttered in mm-hmm. like the last two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, guess I just hadn't been reading those headlines as much. Like if I had been paying attention, maybe I would have found that out. But sure, happy to hear it. But listen, this is Doc Talk. Before we get to all that, <laughs> we're gonna do how's your heart, and it's possible we just recorded an episode in which we talked about how our hearts were for the last hour and change so maybe the way maybe the way we get into it caroline is by playing the ungame and you remember how the ungame oh yeah was formulated it was a woman who had a sad little life whose family would not talk to her didn't care once to wonder what's going on in old mom's was mind or whatever and then she couldn't speak for like months because she got some kind of health crisis and then she was back and she was like, you're going well, to talk to me. The, the doctors told her something, and then she might have exaggerated. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, right. Okay. okay. And, <laughs> and there's this uh, epidemic happening right now, Caroline, in this country. And that's men going on dates, not asking women questions. Right. Right? Simple task. We've seen many a think piece, a Mel Magazine article about why don't men ask women questions? Yeah. And this woman back in 1980, whatever the fuck, was also asking that question. Why don't men ask women questions? So, Caroline, yeah. as a man, right, I would love to ask you one of the questions. We got pile okay. number one, pile number two. Yes. One's a little more fluffy. One's a little more intimate. Which would you like? Um, Let's do intimate. Okay. Listen. Joseph was kept in prison for nearly two years. Damn, okay. <laughs> Joseph. If you have ever felt imprisoned by anything, Whoa. talk about oh it. Oh, my God. Old Testament. I've been, <sighs> I've been imprisoned by my addiction to porn. Okay, speak on that. <laughs> Just like, and, and how's the addiction manifest? For you, it's like, you can't stop buying physical porn. Mm-hmm. Is it like you, or you download so much that it breaks your computer to be like, <laughs> hey, Nate, I actually think we need a budget for a new MacBook. Well, usually Mac- I, I like have to call Geek Squad and then I have to tell a whole t- lies of like, oh, my scampy was walking on my keyboard. <laughs> and it's like, ma'am, we've seen this sort of thing a million times. <laughs> and for situations like this, we are called the Freak Squad. <laughs> And we do know how to address this <laughs> just the right way. Yeah, that's that's a prison of my own making. Man, what have I felt imprisoned by? Mm. Mm. <laughs> like truly restrained by, and I'm trying to think for myself what the case may be. I mean, we all have by our jobs at some point, right? 
Mm-hmm. This job is a prison. This you feel the shackles of it. And that's so true. But I feel like that's a boring one. It's it like, is boring. Yeah. Like we've all had jobs being like, who gives a shit? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Boo Move on. Yeah. Get over Quit it. Wait already. It was years ago. <laughs> there was the summer I worked at In-N-Out after I had like come, I was like back uh, after my freshman year of college and I had worked in and out like throughout high school. And I remember feeling like so upset. Like I was, now like wasting time, you know, sure. now that I had had my like big worldly experience being in college and You're like just back in the grind. Yeah. And I'm with these people and they don't get me. And like the other thing, the experience of like being a fast food worker is like most customers assume you are a moron. And so, sure. and you know, with my like arrogance of being a student, I was like, I'm not a moron. And the fact that they keep talking to me like a moron really bugs me, you know, <laughs> and I want to show them my, my like half degree. So how would you do that? <laughs> how would you try to prove to them that you were I didn't. I just was like mean back to them. <laughs> that was like, you don't have a lot of time to work with, you know, in the drive through. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of my next question too is like, <laughs> how do you be effectively mean in such a short amount of time? I guess I would also like, I would become hyper competent, you know, like I would repeat their order back to them like better than they did. And then they would be the one that's confused. So like, like, wait, so, you know. I want a double <laughs> with animal style. And you would say what? Uh, or, th- or they would say like, I want two number threes, you know, and this and that. And then the way that we took orders in and out, like we don't see an order as like a number three. Mm-hmm. If you get two number threes, we don't see burger, fry, drink, burger, fry, drink. You see two burgers, two drinks, two fries. You okay. know what I mean? So then I would oh, repeat really the order back inside. to that. Yeah, we're really getting into it. So I would repeat back of like, okay, you had three hamburgers with this. You had this fry, da, da, da. And they would all be like, really thrown for a curve because they thought of it in their little meal sections mm-hmm. or whatever. That was my little way. You would one-up them. them. Yeah. But that was also just kind of how we had to do it. Um, and honestly, also, I don't blame them for being confused that way because when I'm ordering, I also think that way. And do you do, you do number three now when you go to in and out every night on the way home every from night. Yeah. <laughs> recording with me? Well, when I'm, you know, wanting to elevate beyond my McDonald's post-record dinner that I Is get. Is that usually sometimes, the move? Sometimes. Sometimes it's just like, yeah, I want that tonight. And then sometimes I'm like, no, go home and eat your homemade chili. Do you Man. feel any ethical conflict knowing how many loads Grimace has to shoot to get your Grimace <sighs> shake? I do. Where it's like, he's like, I want to stop tired. and I can't. It's like. He can't, he can't even just enjoy it anymore. No, it's, it's like work. it's work. Like now. there's no release for this poor guy. The one thing that used to not be work for Grimace is now toil. A gift from God, you know, to to help you relax. His one mercy so away from Ronald's torment. It's terrible. I know. Sad. I know. That is my prison. Is uh, enjoying fast food for, for seems like forever. Our seems friend- like it's not going away. <laughs> <laughs> the fast food of it all, which which does remind me of my. Similarly, the the times I felt most imprisoned was at my food service job. Oh, yeah. When I worked at the Starbucks inside of a Barnes & Noble inside of a mall. I forgot about this yeah. era. This was 2006 was through King's 7. Wood? King Wood. Just one king. It's cleaner. Just one king. <laughs> just one Porter. king. <laughs> Imagine saying that in 2006. Hey, just one king. They'd be like, what? <laughs> <Okay>. Shut up. <laughs> oh, I... Worked routinely with people that were, some of them were enjoyable. There was this one guy that was very nice. 
we would sing Barbara Ann from from nice. the Beach Boys classic Fun. catalog. We would do things like that. But then there'd be truly people that would mess up people's drink orders constantly. Just run of the mill food service stuff and and growing pains. But but I remember my one big gambit, my big victory of working there was I was working there in 2007. Mm-hmm. Like I said, what else happened in the book world in publishing? In 2007, well, perhaps the seventh and final installment of Harry Potter came out. Oh, gosh. Which was D-Day for booksellers and bookshops all around. Barnes & Noble. So at this point, I'd been working both sides of the aisle. I was doing some hours in the cafe Ah. and some on the book floor where I belonged. Right. Where I wanted to be. The intellectuals. Doing cashier stuff, helping, you know, with... Whatever else you do there, I guess you just put <laughs> books back. I did it for like a year. I don't remember any <laughs> of this. Into it. Uh, I think I worked in the media section at some point <laughs> where they had all those CDs, and they still do. They still have a lot of vinyl there and Criterion stuff. But because of this, because of my uh, fluidity between these two departments, there was a miscommunication where you know it was all hands on deck for the Deathly Hallows when that uh, when that arrived. I think Dexter's. <laughs> Getting all paws on dick right now, unfortunately, is what Caroline's. <laughs> well, all that talk about Grimace, Grimace's like, work. He's like, I'll do what he can right Time now. Time to clock in. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. And so, hey, I'm Dex, sorry, it's fine. Dexter? No, I'm sorry. Dexter. It's okay. Dexter, done? there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> it's either that or your shoe. <laughs> I know, really. Devil's wager. A lot. Okay, so you were. You'd been doing both sides. I was doing the book floor. I was doing the cafe. And and the manager, a guy named Jacques, who did not have an accent. So it was very funny to work for a guy named Jacques. Jacques. Yeah. Kingwood. He was just Jacques and Kingwood. Well, this was in Humboldt, technically. He was just a little bit outside of Kingwood. Off the 59 freeway. I know it well. uh, There was confusion. Both departments thought they had booked me for the other. So I was the only person. I was the only person in the bookstore that didn't have to work that day. Didn't have to work on Harry <gasps> Potter day. Because everyone else was either working doubles. Oh, or because there was Kevin. crowd control. There were lines. Yeah. There was children and adults alike running all around. Um, Whoa. But I didn't have to fuck with any of that. Did people find out? No. Ooh, I don't think so. Smart, because they would have hated your ass. But but here, here's what I have, what I did do, which shows what like a fucking normcore nerd or cop I am or whatever you want to call it. Instead of doing that on the release night for Harry Potter, I went to the movies with my friends and saw a little musical called Hairspray, which had just been released. <laughs> oh yeah, Hairspray. And we drove all the way out to see John Travolta say, oh, Tracy, I'm your mom or Man whatever. Vines. It was just one of the most heinous performances in cinemas. Travolta in that movie, I think is unbelievably bad. Travolting. But man, Marsden's so good in that movie. Oh yeah, Janie's so good. Oh. Brittany Snow. Brittany's terrific. But we drive back and I see the lights because it's, the bookstore is visible from the highway. I see the lights are still on. They're still working. It's ten. It's eleven Ugh. p.m. at night, and they're like cleaning up and shit. So then we go home, and I'm like, well. I guess I'll go check in and see what's going on at the bookstore. And I drove to Barnes & Noble. I was like, hey, guys, you need help? They're like, yeah, clock in. 
And I just helped them clean up That's a little nice. bit. It was like an hour or less. It was not arduous work. <laughs> so funny. I was just like, I was almost gloating that yeah, I didn't have to be there be for the hour, bulk guys. of whatever all those Hogwarts heads were doing up in there. <clears throat> Dear Life Journal, today <laughs> I did something good and something a little bad. I saw a man in women's clothes at the movies. <laughs> <laughs> but then I counterbalanced that horrible sin I saw with the good deed. We're doing a little sweep of helping wow. Barnes and Noble. That's crazy. I forget like that that must have been actually insane to see Harry Potter people for the final book sure. at the bookstore. Well, I didn't see it. And I think the only thing right the only thing comparable after that was the Twilight stuff when those books yeah, came out. Yeah. Maybe her Hunger Games. But, yeah, I forget what the chronology is. Like if it goes yeah. Harry, Twilight, Hunger, Harry, Hunger, Twilight. Harry, Hungry, Twilight. Harry, Hunger, Twilight. But <laughs> but that was, yeah, I, I remember being so, such a little prima donna tight ass about having to work that job and make <laughs> frappuccinos. For, I'm like, I was 17. <laughs> That's the deal. That's what you do. That's the job. Maybe because it was like, I'm a college, I'm a high school graduate already. Oh, it's yeah. Ridiculous. I know. I was totally snobby about it too. Well, let me ask you a fluff question before we move on sure. at least. Or a deep question if you want. Yeah, I didn't get that. Yeah, give, give me a little fluff. Give me the fluff. Now, which is the fluff and which is the super serious for number I'm gonna one guess number, number two? one is lighter than number I, two. I think so. Yeah. Dexter, can you confirm? Complete the sentence. Okay. I feel closest to God when blank. I, <laughs> I come. think I picked a- <laughs> All right. Moving on. <laughs> That's why I say yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Um, yes, yes, Lord. I feel closest to God. I'm 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 gonna do the thing we've been talking about for a month plus now, which is I, I feel the pleasure of God when I run and I feel him in my body when I run like a like Woody in Toy Story. <laughs> like that gentleman. Tongue out. Yeah, that's great. It's it's still it's true to this day. It's it's and and I'm saying God probably is a synonym and analogy for whatever the spiritual high endorphin mm-hmm. rush, all of that stuff is. That's actually like chemically animating that 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 runner's uh <laughs> Dexter going in for round two. Dexter's getting his runner's eye. Um it's yeah. probably that I had it this morning running in the drizzling rain here. I saw your be real today and it was you running and I was like, oh it's so nice. He looks so happy. I was happy. I'm yeah. happy when I I you would are. not run if I wasn't happy. Now that's Grant, one thing you kind of do for you without sharing. But you said but remember what uh, you just said. You oh, saw right, it on you Be Real. <laughs> Most times you don't, though. Most times, I, yeah. you run every day. I used to. I don't run every day now. Oh, okay. But I yeah. want to. You're on the, the Peloton. Yeah, I'm on the Peloton, and it's hard to balance it, too, with, again, as you pointed out so graciously and mercifully, aging run, <laughs> running ages you. Aging runs you. I mean, it does. <laughs> it does run you. Oh, no. So, Did that get in your head? Mm, no, you're not gonna lose hair from running. Well, not hair. Listen, I'm never gonna lose hair. Thankfully, right. no, you're not gonna get aged from running. But you're we'll a man. See. But also, sometimes it's like if you're doing a lot of cardio and you, if you do lose weight, sometimes the skinnier your face looks, the older it looks, right? Because you look gaunt or something. Or well, could I can be put you on the skimpy method. Oh my gosh, no! I'm. <laughs> you'll fill out. You'll have a single wrinkle. <laughs> There's no room for them. 
<laughs> Turn those wrinkles into rolls. <laughs> Scampy method. Scampy way. Oh my god. <laughs> do you, young forever. Uh, before we go to break, do you have an answer? Do you have a completion to that? Um, when I feel closest to God. Yeah. I think I feel closest to like infinite things and big scale things. Like when I um, when I really look at mountains, like really when I really take them in. Things that, especially the ones that we live next to all the time. Yeah, the San Gabriel Valley. Yeah, when I really think about like how old those are and that how many people have traversed and looked at them and used them, I feel close to God. Nature. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the first thought for many people for a reason. Totally. Because it's pretty... It's mind-blowing. <laughs> you know what I read, though, about the... um because I was thinking about like nature being self-evident of of God's design mm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And of course, we remember the Kirk Cameron thing of like, look at look at a banana. banana. <laughs> Bananas like that have been engineered to be. Yeah, like they're that. new. Like, yeah. they're, they're like a they're, recent development. I, I did not understand that about bananas <laughs> until I think someone pointed it out. To That's me. so funny. Yeah, I didn't but think about that either. Thanks a lot for that, Kirk. Kirk's always, he's a thinker. A thinker, not a stinker. Okay, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with more Good Christian Fun. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little a person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. HeadGum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm-hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code HeadGum at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to Good Christian Fun. It's time to dive into the topic. Dive into that that bathtub from that athlete that they baptized the guy in? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a big name. 
No, it was like to me. But we got. I know it was. Some, it was some football player or something, <laughs> and that's where Carl Lentz got baptized. So we no, he saw, baptized Justin Bieber in it. He baptized Bieber in it. Excuse me. So we've talked about <laughs> Hillsong before. Hillsong uncovered the the Discovery Channel. Um, Docu, what I forget if it was oh, yeah. a couple episodes. That's we talked right. about that with Jonathan Braylock a few years back. That was mostly talking to the woman with whom Carl Lentz had some sort of entanglement with. Like that was kind of the big interview from that. Mm-hmm. This is a four-part series that is not um how do I put it? It's not in-house produced or like EP'd by the Lentz Foundation, but at some points. It feels like it is. Yeah. Um, the the it, ending was weird. Yes. So director Stacy Lee, she talked about how they started making this documentary uh, without his involvement, and the plan oh, okay. wasn't to have their involvement at all. And then at some point, the plan changed. They landed an interview with um, with him and his wife, and that became like a primary focal point. Yeah. Of the documentary. So it's told in four episodes, four hours long. It's on Hulu if anyone wants to stream it there. Would you recommend people watch, even just from this level, would you recommend it's worth a watch, it's well made, it'll hold your attention, it's worth investigating, or would you advise against it? Yeah, I would say to watch it if you're interested in it. Like, it was it was really interesting, and I feel like they, they kept a good pace with it, mm-hmm. too. And the way the episodes were divided was smart, you know. And I think the only problem they have is the story is still so much in development that it's kind of hard to end it in a satisfying way. Because mm-hmm. things are literally like, like Brian is in trial right now. Right. You know. Bo is afraid and Brian's in trial. <laughs> yeah. And like they didn't even get to more recent things that's happened with Carl too that I think is a huge really changes the tone Huge. of what you understand about him. Yes. You know? So, so obviously with any even documentary, like there's a production cutoff time and then the story ends, even if it doesn't end in real life. Yeah. And with Lentz, I'm so curious as to what like most people's takeaways would be from all of this stuff because I was just – Almost flabbergasted by some of it. Uh, m- much, much of the documentary is stuff everyone knows before, and even stuff I th- I remember being present in that Discovery Channel Hillsong doc, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, they run their church like a business, right? And it's shareholders they have a and stuff, marketing deck, you and know? yeah, uh-huh. and and that stuff is so unremarkable in the sense of you're outlining any church over a certain size, right? In a in a certain congregation, it's new number. to you, maybe. Yeah, yeah, and, and and I I always think that's the wrong emphasis to put on it. But but then it's a pretty thorough cataloging on, you know, the rise of it specifically in New York and the centrality of Lentz as the 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 prince who was promised of like post evangelical, but still even post even. Post-evangelical, almost like aesthetics, yeah, but deeply evangelical, which is kind of the church we were involved with too, in exactly. some ways, just a little more extreme. That's the point, and the thing I didn't think about it before is people's understanding of media as how how, how to take advantage of that as a platform. They 
they do very successfully and succinctly draw the parallels of, oh, you know how Jim and Tammy Faye understood television for their own purposes? This is not different. This is the right. understanding Instagram and whatever other social media or whatever Facebook and probably TikTok now, people taking advantage of it this way feels like as much that as it was then. And we understand yeah. all the televangelism people and people the most prominent in that space to be, you know, low-key hucksters or snake oil right. salesmen and just like a mess. But we don't apply that scrutiny to social media stuff because the currency is authenticity and performance and because it just exists in a different space than yeah. even TV ever did. We all participate in it at some mm -hmm. level, so it's a little easier to be like, well, you know, who am I? Like, I'm being kind of fake online too. Maybe Carl is, you know, not a big deal. Yeah, just like imagine the person you're DMing who's your friend or like meeting to go on a date exists on the same device that this guy is preaching the gospel. He'll, like, yeah. it totally changes your relationship with this stuff. And I thought... Weirdly, that was one of the points that really stuck with me from the documentary. Is like, oh yeah, they did that. Like, and I don't even know if it's good or bad that they did, but that they understood the medium and mm -hmm. and used it to their own advantage. It's just like I, you know, they really did do that successfully. So it outlines Lentz's rise and fall, and then like the the intersection of all these like infidelities that occurred, and in the way he kind of became. I forget which. I mean, honestly, the sacrificial lamb, or maybe the canary the, in the coal mine. Yeah, maybe? the canary in the coal mine. Mm -hmm. I mean, all sorts of animals we could name. The, yeah, the escape, cat dog. The escape. Well, no, get your. <laughs> hey, can you do I'm me sorry. a favor? I'm so sorry. Real quick. No, look me in the eye. Could you get? I'm so sorry. Okay. I just said that. And that's fine. And I believe you, but can, please keep my cat dog's name out of your fucking mouth. It's it's really easy. I only have one rule on this You're podcast. You're totally right. I will never do that again. <laughs> so it details how Lentz was sort of exiled from the church, asked to resign because of these infidelities. The infidelities, uh, I, I think this is the thing we struck on in the last time that we talked about all of this. This is the least interesting part. And the documentary actually kind of cops to the idea of this is the least interesting part. They talk to the Vanity right. Fair journalists who are like, Oh, yeah, a guy having an affair. Like, that's... Like, that's who, not a story. Yeah, and who cares? Yeah. And not like, ooh, what's the real juice? But but just in the sense of that's almost not worth the attention. No, or it, the, the like, overwhelming, you know, punishment or whatever. Yeah, or mm -hmm. scrutiny and all that stuff. So, so what is worth more attention, I think, is that thread being pulled leading to essentially... That the one of the preeminent names in all of church culture, certainly medical church culture, and obviously church music culture, and songs that we'll just know for the rest of our lives because we were part of a time in which they were most ingrained on the hearts and minds of every worship leader we were under. We were under under their authority. Is that like this is this is a church founded on very heinous, very dark things. And the thread pulled from, hey, the guy that was like tatted up and jacked and, you know, jerking himself off with Justin Bieber, that was like not nearly as worthy of people's caution as Frank 
and Brian Houston, Brian Houston being the living man, and then Frank being his father who passed away in 2004, and coming from Australia, and that the foundation of Hillsong, and this is what's creeping me out, and I know we knew this before, but I think hearing the full accounting of it and the full, you know, testimony of victims and, and people that they talked to on camera, it really drives home of like, oh, this is like a rotten organization and institution not, oh, because Carl Lentz got a little too cocky and started sliding it, right. but from its core and from its beginning. It's it w- a mob. Yeah. Yeah, that's like There's probably the most succinct way and hush to money put it. Mm-hmm. And crime and circling. It's mob mob work is what they do there, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, you know, and like- Paying off politicians and policemen. Literally. And placing people in positions of power. Mm-hmm. Which again is not a new like thing that church made up or whatever, but that's mob shit. Yeah, and and you know just like a little content warning or trigger warning against sure. the idea of like pedophilia, molestation, sexual abuse, child abuse, um, wet hair, wet curly hair. Yeah, I mean I needed content. I needed Who did help. he look like? I was trying to place this. The he whole was time. doing something. Was he given like? Uh, <laughs> Like Instagram influencer Aragorn <laughs> or something where it's like, we're almost to, to oh, someone man. else, but not quite. Well, that was- Talking about Carl Lynch. Let's talk about a light topic real quick, which mm-hmm. is Carl's looks. The thing that was so fun about all the footage they dug up of him is how like literally every era was he different. leaned so hard into like whatever like shitty- <laughs> ugly look of the time like the most broy look you could have mm-hmm. you know like that's what he went for oh, and sure. he went whole like his heart into it absolutely and so you see the frosted tips you see the like sleaze indie sleaze and then you see his like you know clean cut guy and then now he's doing this with like a leopard shirt and like wet hair and like a black tank top to dinner with his family really weird but the thing I thought about the curly hair mm-hmm. that I didn't put together it was like they showed footage I think of like him when he first started out as a pastor or something and he had that long curly hair. So I'm like, oh, maybe in Carl's mind, this is a way to like help you associate him with like a younger, more innocent Don't worry, Carl. I'm back there. Yeah, I thought that as well. You know? That it felt uh, like a recursion or like mm-hmm. a boomerang back to his younger, yeah, more redeemed, less tainted self. Exactly. Because ways. we know that Carl is extremely intentional about what he looks like just by seeing a couple flashbacks. You know, like mm-hmm. no one was going as hard as he was about yeah. with, their, with their presentation. And uh, so even the look he is giving us in his Hulu documentary, I'm like, there's an angle here. I don't know why their hair is so wet. That's, that was bothersome to me. Uh, I mean, well, but I think it. But, but that they were also, in Florida, so that's I'm sure <laughs> everything's the a little wet. But also, I was like, the long hair is such a good like. He should have paired it with unshaven if this is what he was going for. But the uh, long hair is also like, I don't even have time to like worry about haircuts right that's now. That's so funny. I'm taking care of my family. Yeah, I'm doing the work. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, it was a little unkempt in a way where it's like, nah, I have different priorities now. <laughs> I'm not so clean cut. But also, I think still taking steroids, he looked puffy and sure. Well, like uh, who knows what that could be? Yeah, who knows? You never know. But yeah, who knows? I wonder what the most interesting or effective way is to talk about the documentary rather than just like recapping. Here's all the bad shit Frank Houston did. Here's all the bad shit 
Brian Houston covered up. Here's all the bad shit Carl did. Yeah. Here's how, like, well, I, it, I think there were some things that were new to me. If you like want to talk why? about that, like things that maybe, yeah, you didn't know about the story or that struck you a different way. Like you said, with the social media thing, mm-hmm. um, I thought it, it was new to hear from Laura Lentz as much as we did. Laura Lentz, Carl's wife, who I, why would I know this? But, but she's Australian. So there is a weird, like, I, I, not not to be reductive about this, but I think it bears out even in the music choices. They are trying to give you a little bit of power grabbing, who holds the throne drama, not unlike a succession. Mm-hmm. At which point there are music cues, there are piano bass, and even especially at the end of the fourth episode, it's like these are the same chords in a different key yeah, to the yeah. succession thing. Like family montage footage. And, and you could certainly you could certainly picture the um, you know, the we've talked about before, the fictionalized version of it. Yeah. Where you got uh what's his fuck from We Own the City playing Carl Lenz and mm-hmm. and some old character actor, maybe even Kelsey Grammer playing Brian Houston. And yeah. uh, you know, it's all there. Like it's all uh, very dark and twisted and, mm-hmm. and captivating in that way. Uh, I, I'm just wondering, like, yeah, what what else? What else was new to you in the doc? Yeah, well, with Laura, um, one thing I didn't realize or didn't know was that Laura was kind of like a Hillsong princess when Carl met her. Mm-hmm. You know, she was already the daughter of one of the lead pastors, close with the Houston family. You know, grew up with them, close with that. Houston's son, the long hair guy. Um, and so to me, oh, that brought a new level of understanding of even like why Carl married Laura. Like a lot of the time guys like these, I think they choose, I mean, they choose their wives very carefully mm-hmm. because they are a package deal. Yeah, You don't become a pastor at Hillsong by yourself. Your wife joins you, your kids join you and your wife has to be attractive standing next to you. And better yet, she has some like charisma. She can be a public speaker. Mm-hmm. She doesn't mind volunteering her own life to the same, even though maybe she doesn't get paid, but Laura was employed by the church. Anyway, so to me, I was like, oh, that's, it's sad that it's not a surprise, but it was illuminating that like Carl probably also married Laura because he wanted to be a Houston star. He of wanted course. to be a Hillsong prince, you know, marry the mm-hmm. princess to get to that. Yeah. So like a Wamskins move. Yeah. Truly. Totally. Totally. Which I guess doesn't tell us that much new about Carl, but I just didn't know that that was even the context of their relationship. And then like her her reaction to the situation in a lot of ways like broke the script for me of how these women usually react to their mm-hmm. husbands when they stay with them and stuff. I kept thinking of Honk for Jesus and how sure. like to me, the mo- the more interesting story would be to know how Carl kept his wife through this and how they are now redrawing the lines of their marriage and who has the power or not. Right, because wh- why wouldn't she leave at this point? I mean, it. I was my mind is split in a lot of ways because, like, mm-hmm. obviously she has uh, so much to lose if she leaves Carl and is now a divorced woman. Mm-hmm in a kind of conservative church at the end of the day. Um, 
she also kind of still loses, but now this is not important to her, I guess, but like the proximity to the Houstons and all of that and the approval of them and Mm -hmm. whatever. Her position as like a potential celebrity pastor wife again. But uh, I guess she has also... I, I, I wonder... I don't know. She was kind of going on about like how... She's like, I know I could leave him and I'm not doing this for him. I'm not, I don't have to stay with him, she says at some point. And she talks a lot about like how she's reading a lot of books. And then Carl makes a really annoying joke about oh, yes. how this, he, this moment <gasps> where he's like, yeah, he, she's got a lot of books around, like how to tell when your man's cheating. And yeah, to what t- to do when your husband's a piece of shit. And I'm like, Laura, we got to do something about these books. Can you put them away? She's not laughing at this point. No, and also that was weird too because... Uh, Laura was sitting in her seat where we think we've just sitting alone with Laura in the room. And now I'm realizing Carl was in the room the whole time <laughs> when she was doing her like journal reading. Because mm-hmm. Carl is doing commentary like off mic. And that's yeah. how we finally hear him. But anyway, so I, I'm i like optimistic for her. I, I, one, it's kind of surprised that she is like being kind of vocally sort of like a woman empowerment, like feminist moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I still feel like there is manipulation in this relationship and there's still a lot of stuff that's pretty unforgivable that Carl has done. Yeah. And this gets to the other new thing I didn't know about, which was the nanny situation. The nanny situation. With Leona Kimes. Leona Leona Kimes. Which was rough. Real bad. Real bad. Where a woman who has children of her own was still nannying. Yeah, had to hire a nanny for her family, and she would go full-time nanny for Carl and Laura and take care of their kids. And, and then Cara and I have to were entangled. Yeah, and I have to think, like, Carl handpicked, because she was also a pastor's wife at a yeah. whole other church, which is, like, a full-time gig, you know? Mm-hmm. He plucked her from over there, come work in my house 14 hours a day, crazy long hours and be at my beck and call and be around yada yada and um laura tells the story of that she kind of saw them she doesn't say what it was but it was like a compromising compromising position (laughs) she she punched her which is kind of amazing um and then that like from then on like they they don't think they even fired her at that point right they were like oh certainly i thought and then, of course, we had to let her go. Would be the next yeah. beat. They were like, yeah, it was kind of weird after that. It's yeah. like, oh, it was weird after you punched your nanny for <laughs> fucking around with your husband. Yeah. And then Laura says something to the effect of like, but Carl, you know, gaslit me. She says that word, like into believing that nothing was happening there. She said they both did. Yeah. And so Laura's takeaway is like, Carl and the nanny were doing each other. The nanny... Is has no right. I'm mad at her. I'm also mad at Carl. They both lied to me through this situation. And but she's fired and I'm forgiving and Carl's doing the work, whatever, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Then the the nanny, Leona, also wrote a blog post about what her timeline was. Right. Which is that Carl was harassing her constantly and she did not want it. And she was not, it was not consensual at all. And, but he is Carl Lentz and you're not allowed to do anything about that. And there's no place to go. And he maintains that even in the documentary interviews. This is, this is what, I do wonder if the documentary is not 
better served without his POV. Seriously, because he added nothing. And the other thing is like, he is a self-confessed liar. Mm-hmm. He lies a mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. And so we're just going to like give him his side of the story. Well, and they certainly, they, they interview uh, congregants. I think that's some of the more effective parts of, of the doc is when they talk to people who are involved in different ways or went to like Hillsong school where you learn literally nothing and it's 40 grand or whatever it is. And they, they talked to this one woman who's like, oh yeah, he could just cry on cue and just like, and like look how she like makes fun of him. And then there's moments in the documentary where he's basically doing that. So they bake in a little bit of like skepticism and, and yeah. grain of salt, grain of salt and, and sort of like audience perspective of it. But so much of it, and especially the end, like we alluded to before, it ends with uh this this fairly idyllic vision of mm-hmm. of the Lentz family in Florida having dinner together. Grandparents and, and, and all the kids are there and they're laughing. And there's such like a happy ending and redemption without ever, they don't really contend in very serious ways of like the way more serious crimes than infidelity. I mean, if it's a crime to someone, it's a crime. But like the the actual literal crimes of child abuse and, and molestation that Frank Houston did, that Brian covered up, that certainly Carl knew about. And he's... That 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 yeah. that piece of it is not contextualized with Carl's involvement in it, in a way that felt like a little compartmentalized, which felt dishonest in some ways. Yeah, to me. and I don't think that they thought, oh, we're gonna give Carl like the beauty treatment in this. Like, I think they let him talk, almost to show you directly from him, like what a narcissistic, insane person he is. Yes, he hangs himself a few times, especially talking about Black Lives Matter stuff, which was... We have to get to that later. That right. was insane. I was absolutely... Uh, my jaw was on the floor. But, mm-hmm. like, he he doesn't look good in his interviews at all. But mm-hmm. but my point being with, the, like, like, Leona, Laura, that whole situation is, like, Leona contends that Laura knew about this the whole yeah. time. And Laura knew about the confession or whatever... And kept them employed and kind of told Leona to shut your damn mouth, you know, and don't mm-hmm. talk about it and don't tell me ever again, which kind of like was at odds with Laura's story about it, of Laura being like, I never knew until we had this like Zoom meeting. And that's when I found out, in addition to the mistress that we were talking about, someone else brought up, what about Leona? Mm-hmm. And she was like, all of a sudden I remembered <laughs> that Leona and my husband oh, were hooking yeah, up. That's and right. I was shocked that that was happening or that had happened or, or that everyone else knew about it beyond us too. So I was like, something's not fitting there. And to me, that's a really interesting story too of like those domestic negotiations that she and Carl are going through that we don't really get privy to. Mm-hmm. And that are just as like twisted as what's going on in, at the broader scale of Hillsong. And the thing with the oh, the thing with the family dinner at the end. Yeah. Cause this is B to be clear, this is like B-roll footage that the documentarians for this documentary shot for it. Shot. And it looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And the lighting is beautiful. Carl looks disgusting, but <laughs> he can't help it. And like <laughs> they they let him have this this visual of like a happy whole family and the humbled dad who has gone to rehab maybe question mark one time he went to the same rehab John Chris went to yeah, and uh, exactly. other similar the rehab was for like pastoral burnout which I don't I'm sure that's a great service is that the rehab you need 
I don't know. It was also certified by the doctor who told Frank <laughs> yeah, Houston he, he had dementia. dementia. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The thing that about that that actually really made me upset was that Laura at one point begged for like mercy from the Houstons on behalf of her children. Said, please don't drag all this shit out. Yes, because her daughter because was in a fragile. Daughter, her daughter was like mm-hmm. suicidal mm-hmm. and had already attempted. And she was like, you might tip my family over to the edge if mm-hmm. you do this. And that is like, gets to this other story I want to talk about of how Carl is not, is obviously not actually repentant or doing the reparations he needs to for like all the shit that is in his wake. Oh. It's his family that really bothered me because I think if he was actually like trying to make good and like repair what he did, he would definitely not have his kids in this documentary as like the smokescreen to make him look like a right. good daddy. It's again. narrative maintenance. It's, yeah. it's image control. And and like Caroline said before, the, the doc cuts off where it's like, oh yeah, he's working a desk job in humble Florida. <laughs> what was that desk job, by the way? There was waiting for Guffman vibes with that. I was like, what is this empty office? Advertising. It was the first time he'd ever sat at that desk for sure. Or maybe he's still on Tyler Perry's solidarity <laughs> payroll. <laughs> Truly, who who knows? He's in the conference room, but he's like in the corner, like not at the table, kind of leaning forward. That was weird. So funny. But it cuts off before he goes to that church that he's involved with. The mega church where he is pastor now. now. So so even that, that, that's why it's like, guys, just, it's not like the Firefest thing, like this versus the Discovery, but it, it really is like, what would be the detriment of waiting for these other, I mean, I yeah. guess we wouldn't know about that. But then also the, so Brian Houston is embroiled in a legal trial right now. The verdict of which is the, I what is it? The case reading. The case reading is the day that we're recording this and tomorrow. And so the verdict, the verdict's expected like within the next month right. or so. Yeah. At which point Brian Houston might actually go to jail. Um, and, and the crimes with that are, Frank Houston, his father was just a a rampant child molester, and there was hush money and payoff, and and the cops were in on it. Shocker! It was also such a this is I'm not trying to make fun of any of this stuff, but just trying to understand via osmosis and succinctly the Australian legal system of like there's a royal commission. Yeah. it was just so <laughs> foreign to any of my understanding I know, of that I know. stuff. Other than like, oh, the chief of police went to Hillsong. It was on the or whatever, whatever the connection was. The prime minister of Australia was friends with Brian and would like go on right. stage and be filmed for stuff. So, so the investigation didn't open up until uh, very recently. Again, until like uh, it was either 2019 or 2021 when there was a new chief of police, and so then it tracks like these crimes happened. Brian was a part of it. The fourth episode, unfortunately, just like. The cavalcade of just stepping on fucking rakes and it being like a heinous evil act of like, and then this happened and then Brian Houston went to this hotel room with this woman and then this, it was comical. It was. How sadly unqualified, like just. And also that that bothered me too because it was like that piddly shit that like was eventually his downfall and not like the obvious cover up, you mm-hmm. know, like he didn't get fired from church for the cover up. He got fired from his church because of the accusations of going to the hotel rooms of his, like, women. Where, right. Where also, like, apparently, like, sexual abuse didn't happen. It was just, like, really uncomfortable and obviously inappropriate, you know? Am I right in that? Uh, yeah. I, they I didn't think, report that in the documentary. or something. Yeah. Anyway, so, like, 
that's why he got let go from the church from eventually, which is like still a good reason. But it's like, oh, what about the massive fucking child abuse elephant as well? You know, right? That's not enough for you, Hillsong. Like, how craven are you, really? I think I think maybe there's like a weird, almost mental statue of limitations things a thing that happens in people's head where it's like. I don't know. It was a long time ago. Yeah. The guy's been dead for 20 years. They did it. Like, I, I honestly, I honestly think this, this is why it's still so miraculous that Driscoll was fired from his own church in Mars Hill mm-hmm. for not fucking anybody, but just for being a, a, so a true, awful. like <laughs> awful manager and horrific, but like yeah. that's rare. And it is, and, and you even see it. And perhaps I've experienced it in my own life. It's just the idea of like, the the scrutiny and attention paid to the spectrum of harm that people do when it comes to sexuality, which is which is due and worthy, is never equivalent to any other spectrum of harm. It is never like if you say uh, someone who assaulted an underage minor, the the specs of that, or or even like the grayer stuff, like was it a bad date or was it coercion? The scrutiny given to that is never equal to this person manipulate like it it yeah. just doesn't exist in the same way. Right. So similarly, of course that's what Brian Houston yeah. was dismissed True. for. Rather than like, oh, I think there was money that he gave because his dad did something. Like that would just like people get smooth brain with that stuff. It it doesn't yeah. matter as much. And it's kind of the that's the strategy too, is to make it convoluted and confusing. And boring, yeah. People and use boring. boredom to their yeah. oh, and the Houston's doing the thing of like that actually didn't happen at Hillsong Church. That happened at Sydney Community Hill Church. Which is, you just changed just the name. Just they just changed the name. But, yeah. like, that trick alone can work on people. Like, that didn't happen on Good Christian Fun. That happened on GCF Second Service. <laughs> and we stopped doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, like, the, um, yeah, that was just so crazy. Oh, and the thing, too, actually, now that you bring up Mars Hill, that I think is very similar with Hillsong and with Harvey Weinstein, mm-hmm. is at a certain point... The cronies that Houston appointed were done with him and were tired with him and maybe for their own ulterior motives mm-hmm. were no longer going to help him do his mob business and turned on him. Like, that's actually why he was, like, fired eventually. It was yeah. like some guy was like, I've had it with covering for Brian's shit. Well, I'd, Let's all rally <laughs> and vote him out, you know? I did have this thought, especially during the Lynn stuff, that they would, which always feels snake oily to me in terms of the the kind of productions he puts on is like like man were the sermons that good to justify all this <laughs> I know I know I'm especially, like they had numbers but this I heard the sermon you played clips and it's like that guy he's just yelling all right <laughs> and especially in the documentary underlines this part of it is the absolute juicelessness of all the Brian Houston sermons where he'd just be like, ah, (laughs) he'd just stumble out on stage like like a tranquilized elephant. He was just forceful. (laughs) Yeah, he was like, his thing wasn't communication or the way he engaged with the congregation. No, no, no. He was just like, ah, and would just stumble out and and do push-ups. He was (laughs) doing push-ups on stage. He was so bad. He was so bad. He was dry. Just just a a bald-faced, a a clown, like, like that part of it is so interesting of and maybe this is the chronological snobbery of like how could you guys not see this thing for know, like right? he and he truly the Brian Houston of it all feels like such a An like, incredible like, such a sham yeah and 
I, I'm just, I am amazed that I, I do see credibility to the idea of like his shine getting stolen a little bit from Lentz and this contributing to it in some ways. Yeah. It feels rife with so much like you, you can, you can, I just keep playing out the movie or the television series, fictionalized TV series version of all these events. Uh, but, but you know, getting back to it, sounds like based on this previous conversation that we had on our second service episode that we did that came out last Friday that it really incensed things in you and, and, Ugh. and troubled you in, yeah. in, in terms of, because, um, it, it feels like a lot of this is a sort of rehab play for Lentz of, yeah, I did stuff and there's no excuse. That being said, I was perfect about race and it was weird that no one said <laughs> that anyone said anything. No one gave me my flowers for that. Yeah, which is so funny because he <laughs> he did and they showed so many clips of him being on like the Hilarious. view or whatever. Like, yeah, Black Lives Matter. It was like literally like the softest, limpest support of Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. ever. It was it was honestly just him saying the phrase and nothing else. And right. people were like, Oh my god. And it was one of those things <laughs> I, I loved how effectively they, they did this. It was like uh a, a pat answer that that would obfuscate the truth of their very conservative theology that they would make very more much more explicit, like Brian Houston did in that Today Show interview. But but the the clips of of Lent saying, like, hey, you know what? We're pro-love and we're everything else we have a conversation about. What was the sound bite? Do you yeah, remember? Yeah, that's that? what it was. Uh uh, yeah, everything else. We affirm love, about. and then everything else is a conversation. They yeah, something that. like that. Yeah, and, and BLM felt a little bit like that, like a little sloganeering rather than like. Yeah, it was just like, well, we. I think you can say all lives matter, so of course you would say Black Lives Matter, and not like any undergirding. No, like listen, we need the to church work has on been complicit defunding the police. And, yeah. yeah, racism is wrong. Yeah, and then he uh, t- <laughs> they. He, black congregants speak in the documentary about like the efforts, quote unquote, they made toward it because they were like, most of this church in New York is predominantly people of color. Why are, is everyone on stage white? Mm-hmm. And he was like, I hear that. I hear that. And so they were like, yeah, and for the next couple weeks, like for the tithing part, which we all know is like the JV League of Pastors mm-hmm. on stage. Like those people were black or people of color, and then that slowly just stopped. And after four weeks, they're like, yeah, they just kind of stopped. And doing then Carl it. was like, everyone had so many opinions and so many things they wanted from me, and I did that, and like there was never enough. So I'm, I feel like whoever has something to say about that, like what he brought up, some weird example of someone was like, why did you have? that person of color on stage when, when they're, they're married, married to, to a, a white person. person. I'm like, okay, well, obviously, that's not most of the the issues people have with you. That seems like a weird one-off, you know? Yeah. Anyway. So he, he continues to double down on certain, like, <laughs> profound areas of lack of, of self-awareness and, and scuzziness. Yeah, and shows his ass in that way. But, it's, but the whole thing and his participation in it is not... Um, it it does not reek of a genuine gesture towards accountability or and now that I know this I'm just gonna stay in my little lane in Florida yeah. and 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 you're right like to point out the optics of involving the family and whatnot. Well, and the other thing I think that here was my train of thought. I was like, with Brian and with Carl, clearly they are not taking responsibility for everything that they caused. That went wrong. I think part of that is because 
they built a scale of influence that is so large that the the trail of harm is this large too. Mm-hmm. And like that's actually kind of too much for one person to deal with. If you actually take that in that like thousands, if not, you know, hundreds, if not thousands sure. of people have like their lives have been worse because of me and mm-hmm. what I have done. That's what I think about every time we record. <laughs> like you can't actually fit that in your brain without probably wanting to losing your mind and yeah. lose your mind or or end your life. You know, like if if that's really if you take that in all the way, it's I devastating. You know, mm-hmm. so but there's two ways you can deal with that. So the opposite <laughs> path is <laughs> no, no, no. This is my point of like I don't think they should. Obviously, they should not. I want them to keep living and I want them to like find a way through this. You mm-hmm. know. But like a, a a good person would realize the scale of harm. They would probably go to a pretty dark place. They would decide, okay, since the scale of harm was so good, so bad, like the scale of good I must do now is so big. Mm-hmm. And like that's what I'll do to dedicate my life and to stay away from being ashamed of myself and to actually make good and prove that I I understand what I did and that I want to fix it, you know? Yeah. Um, that's what like a good person would do. <laughs> and what in Car- what are Carl and Brian doing? What now? Carl and Brian are doing are saying that I can only take responsibility for this little chunk. One, because I refuse to let the rest of that crush me. I'll take responsibility maybe for my family and what they are going through. I'll really take responsibility for that. Like, I'll really take that in, the pain mm-hmm. of that, and I'll cry. I'll cry yeah. so much. I did not handle that well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll that. own that, you know? But for them, they do not see the scale, the the influence building that they did as part of the problem. They still see that as, like, the gift that God has given them even though what it really is is their own like insatiable greed for validation and mm-hmm. admiration and influence and power, they still think like, oh, but like me doing good, it, it would be bad if I stopped building influence the way I yeah. used to. It's That's actually good really good if I hold on to that piece of it. Mm-hmm. And so actually I can't really admit all the bad shit I did because then it is very obvious that I do not do not deserve to be a person of influence the way I want to be. Well, so I'll cop to these few pieces of it. I'll cry. I'll show you how humble I am. And then as soon as I can, as soon as I get a couple people on my side, I will go right back to the same grind that I did and try to get hundreds and thousands of people to listen to me every day. And and I, I want to be sensitive about this part too, but a, a, a large part of the narrative for building out perhaps a whether it's an alibi or justification or the oh, context yeah. for it. This I want to talk about too. It is the idea that, that Lentz at, at a point in the documentary says and uh, that he was sexually abused as a kid and then that obviously had an effect on him and he connects that to the present day harm that he caused, yeah. the contemporary harm in the form of infidelity and, and, and things with his wife. Yeah, and, or, or the thing he says too is like, I learned from that very early to like keep secrets. And so then I just started keeping secrets for no reason, like things that didn't even need to be secret, let alone things that did. I would hide things from others. I was hiding things from myself, et cetera, et cetera, which I think all could be very true. Honestly, like that seems like a normal response to something like that that happened. 
And I want to be really sensitive about this because it is horrifying. And what he says is like, I don't think that's an excuse. Um, but it's not that my fault that that happened to me. But like, I'm going to take responsibility for all the things I did. He kind of offers it as like, this is context for like why I am the way I am. You know, it's like I went through this thing and it's so ruptured my ability to like have relationships with people that like that's how we end up here. And the thing that really like bothers me about that and and I have never experienced that. So I, I can't say what that's like, obviously, but I do know that in some cases it's common for abusers to bring that up as a way to kind of skirt some responsibility of like, mm-hmm. I perpetuated this because this is all I knew. When in fact, like, I think the inverse should be true. If you experienced that and you are aware of the fallout it had in your life, you would be so much less willing to pass that burden onto someone, especially people you love, because you know, you actually know, like, how horrendous of a stain that leaves on their lives. It it doesn't, it actually doesn't absolve you of anything. I think it actually unfairly, very unfairly, burdens you with even more responsibility well, I to thought, never harm others the way you have been harmed, you know? Yeah, and and his harm was not in the spectrum of, of child abuse, but the idea of being complicit in a system in which that, that was the case and that was Even, founded that's a great point that, yeah you know? exactly that it wasn't like oh i had this horrific experience and so obviously i'm sensitive to being in any environment in which that's yeah uh i understand uh, what the stakes are yeah, in yeah. which that's covered up or 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 allowed in any way yeah and and so to me like especially given how unrepentant, obviously, and unwilling he is to do the actual work to fix what he did. The fact that he brings that up, I, maybe this is cynical of me, but it, I, the only way I could take that is, is in some way to, to kind of play on our, our sympathies toward Carl and get and soften our anger toward him and soften our desire for accountability from him. Cause I, I don't know necessarily I don't know. That's that's just how I feel about it. And it's a really sticky situation. Yeah. I, I'm scared even voicing that because I know how intense that is. I know. I, I don't think anyone would assume ill yeah. will or, or intent on, on your part. And again, you're not saying it about the guy who was rude to you at a party. It's like, <laughs> this is a person who will who is in Tulsa right yeah. now, fucking around in a church. You know, I don't mean that in the sexual yeah. way, but just like doing his thing again. Yeah. He's not like... The, the head of the of the ordeal but but we were talking before about what's forgivable and what's forgiveness i feel like my my thought with all this and who knows if like brian's literally going to go to prison so there's not going to be that much influence other than to his cellmates if that's the case <laughs> but with with uh carl and and all these people and you see with josh harris who didn't commit any crimes but uh unless you count crimes against the written word in the form of, <laughs> I guess, dating goodbye. <laughs> but people were like, oh, you know what? I do see that. And it's like, and so now, like you were saying, and, and so eloquently putting about like, but 
it is important that I retain all of this status and influence. So for me, maybe it's an extreme position. I think nothing's unforgivable, actually. I don't think anything is sh- should be beyond forgiveness. And that's like nice to theorize and say in this abstract way. If the parents of, of the Amish kids who are gunned down by the school shooter can say, I forgive you, looking into the eyes of the school shooter... I have to believe on some level everything's uh, forgivable, but I do believe that's a distinct act from things, or uh, there's a distinction between things being forgivable and things being disqualifiable, which I could, if, if I was in a relationship with someone and they harmed me, I could forgive them for it, but it might disqualify me from being with them. Right. Or it might, excuse me, it might disqualify them from being with me or like to be able to maintain that relationship. And similarly, things like this and things that the documentary goes to great lengths to catalog and go into detail and talk to the to some of the grown men who were once boys that Frank Houston did the worst thing in the world that you can do to someone. And then tracking the red twine on the corkboard, and then this was covered up, and the police chief, and the name was changed, and that guy was there too, and he's interviewed. That feels very roundly disqualifiable in a way that the people in the center of those conflicts are saying, yeah, it's both forgivable and not disqualifiable. Exactly. That's that's always the case. Yeah. Of like, they flatten forgiveness into also, we can't change anything about their life. That mm-hmm. would be cruel. Mm-hmm. Which is like, and people, I wish that was more a part of people's understanding of restitution and accountability. And even knowing people where it's like, they experience consequences for the things that they did. And they were all fair because it wasn't, it's still not unforgivable what they did, but it is disqualifying from like, you know what? It's a privilege to pastor a church. It's a privilege to Mm -hmm. have this amount of influence and stuff. And, and it's so sad that I think, I think to them, like, I do see some humanity in what Lentz is saying of like, this is, this is the water he's been swimming in since he was like, you know, probably a 17-year-old dum-dum in Australia in a weird internship program. So it probably feels like self-preservation. And it's hard to approach that with any compassion or humanity uh, from, like, this removed outside perspective. It's it's just easy to say, like, to to dismiss. I do feel bad for Carl. I really do. I really do. You know, and what he went through, like, it's terrible. And, like, I do, because of that, like, I do find context. I do find compassion for him in this. But, like, you're saying, that doesn't mean I'm, like, I would never stop him from being a pastor because I forgot, I forgive him. You know, it's, like, um, that's fine. You know, that does, like, build compassion for me. And I think you can have compassion for any person that is harmful because most often something bad happened to them when they were young, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, like, that the um the ability to continue to cultivate influence and put people under their power and let those the flock of their church be the the crash test dummies for whether these guys actually yeah. in their heart have changed or not is so so irresponsible and it makes me so angry 
mm-hmm. you know? And also, it hasn't been a long time since all this happened, and Carl's back in a church, and he's done his, like, little rehab journey, you know, in, in very little time. And, like, <laughs> the fact that he was like, we went dark, you know, we went dark. And it was like, wasn't that, like, it was nine months. months. Yeah. <laughs> like, not even a year have you, like, kept yourself from speaking to the masses. You couldn't couldn't wait to it jump on the It was like on one of my dock. friends announcing a social media break. Yeah. And then by <laughs> exactly. the summer, hey, yo. It's like by the very nature of all these things you've already done in your very short time since the scandal broke, like you've proven you are not done with your healing process. And I want a path forward for him. And again, I think he is far less the criminal than like Brian Houston and all the cronies and people sure. they paid off that that helped him. But anyway, I I, I I want a path forward for these guys. I don't want to give them a dead end. That's but worse. It, but it's a lot of harm. And I don't think the path forward is like, <laughs> if if it's like, oh, corruption occurred in a context in which you were given a lot of power influence. Well, maybe we'll just give it to you again and hope it's different this time. <laughs> like it is like. Exactly. That sort of thing. And I think I think the most damning thing and maybe the most effective thing is is interviewing the woman, the, the older black woman. Mm. In in the piece, who says like this? Hillsong is the last church I'll ever go to. I'm not going to go to another church again. This side of heaven, that's kind of the legacy of it in a lot of ways. I'm sure for many people, the legacy of all that ministry, all the music that we know, the Houston family fucking dynasty is like you know what you you probably for a good chunk of people separated them from what we would call God. What you did did not bring them closer together. What you did did not clarify and help them understand mm. and worship. And ad- you, you messed with their soul. Yeah. Yeah, and there's no, like, there's not even a proportional accountability for that sort of thing. Not to sound so, like, highfalutin and righteously indignant, but one thing I, I can't not highlight in this conversation before we start closing is in episode three, Brian Houston describing a sad thing happening as it was like the jets flying into the <laughs> twin towers of my soul, which is something he said when what happened? Uh, something came out. It was in. Yeah. Oh, I think it was him talking about finding out his he, father had like harmed kids. This was his announcement to the church. And it was in 2002 he said this, by the way. So he's like, yeah, okay, Timely. this is pretty fresh. Uh, how are people going to understand <laughs> something sad? when he said that. I'm so glad you brought that up. I almost I'm forgot. To the twin towers and You know how he soul. always sounds like he's crying or about to cry? Uh, like the, those towers, they flew and it was uh, like the towers flying the <laughs> windows of my heart. Gosh. The $50,000 consultant. Brute force. Wait, who's this? Oh, well, this was another thing I didn't really know. It's not as interesting, but kind of how Brian got to like the new Hillsong brand. It was like he went and visited a bunch of prosperity gospel churches in America. And then he went back to Australia and literally wrote a book, You Need More Money. Mm-hmm. And then he hired a consultant for $50,000 to like help them learn how to raise funds or whatever. That was one of those things where, you know, when you get like a side comment in an article or something i was like whoa wait, wait, wait hang on Who's hang that? on hang on yeah <laughs> who's going around to churches and being paid fifty thousand dollars that's a con man we need to know about you know <laughs> like that's someone we need to investigate that's crazy um anyway anything else before we give our final thoughts? i mean yeah 
I, I'm sorry to the listeners if this was kind of a heavy episode. I meant to say this at the top, but like this, everything in this documentary like touches on stuff that I get like so heated about, you know? Sure. Um, and so I was like, this is not going to be a fun one for old sea dog. Well, <laughs> it's going to be me going There was off. something about like, I don't want to book a guest for this one. Yeah. <laughs> Even though also I knew make like them watch three four hours people. of yeah, documentary. Yeah. Um, Wow. I mean, I, I think my main takeaway, I guess, the, to end on a somewhat positive note is we've been talking about this stuff with Hillsong for like years and other people have been talking about it for much longer than that. And it is extremely gratifying to see um, such a vanguard of the me mega church culture have a downfall and a very public visible downfall mm -hmm. and and something that was scandalous and juicy enough that even like the wider public knows about it not just like the christian world yeah it's a kind a of point. a justice and like for how many hillsong churches shut down because the pastors themselves were like i'm not doing this anymore or they were sexual predators like yeah <laughs> yeah that's a, a whole other yeah. yeah like that is I, I didn't think maybe that we would get to see like that so soon, mm -hmm. especially with Hillsong, who I think will probably always have a following like anyone does. But like it is it actually I think it, it gives my heart a little healing and a little hope to be like, oh, even Hillsong fell so hard, you know, like mm -hmm. that's kind of amazing. And, you know, what is that saying? Uh History bends towards justice or time bends towards justice or something like that. It's cool. The arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. That's I it. Think. Thank you, Kevin. By yeah. MLK. I thought that would be, you know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. I did too. Maybe in our lifetime. I but swear to God, though. Soon. You know what it is? It's like it's it's Bieber and Gomez. Yeah. Because every time you write an article about them, it could be the church that they go exactly. to. Exactly. No, truly. And if that didn't, that's why no one. Uh, in the broader sense, gave a shit about the Mars Hill stuff because True. there wasn't a celebrity the, SEO right. term to go with it. I I guarantee you that's part of it. And and I mean that was the text of Lentz's life too. Is like the star fuckery, excuse me, star ministry. It was so funny, by the way, when they did the split screens of all of Justin Bieber's <laughs> cool pastors from the video we love so much. <laughs> yeah, I know what so I saw. Beach like, and it's like is. all the shitty they Avengers. Large my border. Large <laughs> border. I think I saw one of them at my yoga class the other night. You should ask him. I think enlarge my border. I think I saw him. Ask him. Ask okay. him to enlarge your border. <laughs> uh, and yes, you're right. Hopefully Hillsong doesn't rebrand as like, no, we're God Love Ministries. That was Hillsong. <laughs> or Mountain Chorus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So to this documentary, we can either give it a thumbs up and say... Or a thumbs down and say, run it back. Or purgatory, which is the space between. So what would say we? Oh man, I would. Yeah, I'd give it a thumbs up. Holy I think toast. it's a thumbs up. I think it's maybe a hair too long and too indulgent, and a hair too soon. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Because mm -hmm. they could make a fifth episode in like two months from now, and it would probably have so much, a lot more info and in intel. I would love a follow up interview, Carl. Why are you a pastor again? Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. They pick good interview subjects. Mike Cosper from the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast was a part of it. That's right. Uh, Kristen Kobes was a part of it. The author of Jesus and John Wayne. So, like, they, you know, 
it felt it felt very thoughtful and intentional and not nearly as uh, purient as it could yeah, be. Yeah, like compared to the um the Falwell documentary, you know? Oh god. It felt like yeah. they actually talked with people who like knew what they were talking about and were very conversant in this culture. And it didn't feel like a fuck church yeah. position that they were operating from no. or, or any sense. It felt very like mournful and sad, like it was a eulogy for a lot of people's kind of personal connection to faith. This is a well, long it wasn't episode actually, for us. I don't know if that was entirely a eulogy because you remember at the end they talked to all the past congregants mm-hmm. and they all kind of give a like state of their faith basically. Mm-hmm. And most of them were like not Christian or post or, you know, had something completely but almost all I of them. A podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing a podcast. But all of them were happy, and they were mm. all like, "And I think I'm better for it, and I'm happier." Yeah, which is great. So, a happy ending, similar <laughs> to the happy ending that I'm sure. <laughs> oh, how do I connect this? Mm, you got it. Um, happy ending. Start doing Tom Brady. What's that? Tom Brady. Brady. All right, great. Get the hell out of here. Of this nasty church. Nasty. And maybe we won't have to talk about them again for a very, very long I time. Hope not. I hope they're irrelevant forever. Uh, let's dim the lights and light the candles. We're not here to plug ourselves or promote our projects. We're here to lift them up to the Lord. Caroline, what do you want to lift up to the Lord today? Yeah, you can lift uh, me up at Caroline's Farts. And oh. I'm going to lift up a movie I just saw, which is probably not in theaters anymore by the time this comes out, but I just saw it. It's You Hurt My Feelings with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Mm-hmm. The great. Um, Remember when she said no is a complete sentence on Hot Ones? <laughs> I just heard her say that. Who, oh, Carol Burnett said it on Julia's podcast, and I was listening to that, and I had a little chuckle. I was like, ah, oh, Kim probably heard that here. Really good. Um, anyway, uh, she's in it. She plays a writer, and her husband is a therapist. And even that dynamic, I thought, was really funny. And I was, I saw it with Nate, and there were so many times I was nudging him. I was like, "Been there, <laughs> like, see that." He's like, "What?" <laughs> uh, which was really fun. And I, I don't know. I thought it was really funny. Some people on Letterbox didn't like it and didn't think it was very good. Hey, that's okay. Not everyone on there is an unimpeachable yeah. source of truth. When most people aren't giving it the home run that I want to give it, I was like, oh, all right. Was it a five stars for you? Yeah. Five stars for me. I, I, I was laughing. I was howling. So good. maybe go see that if that's your jam. It's kind of a fun little comedy of manners or something like that. It's cute. Hell yeah. You can lift me up at Kevin T. Porter everywhere. On, on Peloton, Letterbox, Instagram, OnlyFans. Man, I don't know if this is a lift up or not. I just watched the first 20 minutes of that documentary series on Max, Smartless on tour. <laughs> it's some of the most unhinged, speaking of guestian, just rich guy bullshit I've oh ever my seen in my life. Should I watch it? I mean, you're going to, it'll feel like you're looking into a grave lined with money. Yeah. Where, like, they ring out 20 good minutes of the door on their private plane getting jammed a little bit. Uh, yeah, we're going to need someone from the cockpit to come help us out. Like, it's, it's wild. Jesus. I, I switched, I was on a plane watching it, and I, I did switch it off. I'm going to lift this up again, though, as an, as an antidote. And this has become my go-to plane show. I've seen every episode. There's not that many. I think there's like 20-something. Great News is just one of my favorite shows, mm. I think. I love Great News. I gotta news. watch it. 
You should. I have it on my list. It's so funny. It's on Netflix. A Tina Fey, Robert Carlock comedy about a little news station in New Jersey starring Andrea Martin and the great Horatio Sands. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately. Um, But, uh, yes. Terrific show. Or you can go see Kimberly Akimbo on Broadway. A show I saw that was okay. Okay. (laughs) Damn. A lot of lukewarm lift-ups this episode. Yeah, I want someone watch to buy a ticket. Smart list, a show I watched 20 minutes of before throwing up on a plane. Awful. I almost started watching Smart List last night, and I was like, well, I got to just see what this is about. But then I was like clicking through the episodes, and I saw the last episode. Their main guest was Kevin Hart. And I was like, all right. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. can't do this yet. Not tonight. What an interesting look into a life we'll never know. Mm. You can lift us up at Christian Fun Pod everywhere, patreon.com slash goodchristianfun for more good Christian fun every week. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Every review you leave, we donate a dollar to charity. All right. Just me and you. Hey. Oh, Buckaroo. Us. That's right. The this Laura to my car. Oh, Aww. oh. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> the license. Oh, oh, God. Ew, <laughs> Kevin. Oh, my God. Well, no. I mean, who are two characters in yeah, this that we could be? Yeah, who's the good duo in there? Compared to. Hmm. I don't think there is one. Yeah. So we'll just leave it at that. We don't need to be We there. have no association with these You people. know what we are? We're the two Vanity Fair journalists that were working in That's tandem right, with yeah. each other. That's who we are. <laughs> we were like almost expressionless and intense, but in yeah. a way that I was like, yeah, that's and how a reporter like should be. sounded like robotic narrators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like I guess this would make me a little bit cold too. <laughs> and there's nothing left to say except for, okay, okay I, I love, love you, Emma. Emma. Amen. And now watch, watch this, this drive. drive. And with that, we'll go out with... Hillsong United, Hosanna. <laughs> that was a headgum podcast. <laughs>